الحمد لله وكفى وصلنا على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والذين جاهدوا فينا لنهدينهم سبلنا سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وصلنا على المسلمين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us something it's a gift from him and it's important for us to wish that gift upon the people that are around us and the biggest gift that he's given all of us is the gift of iman it's really is a gift. A gift is something that you get from someone that's unexpected and that it makes you, um, and it provides benefit, right? It's unexpected and it provides benefit. And Iman is really that gift that's completely unexpected, right? Unexpected and, and undeserving, you can say. And uh, and it's, it's of, of course, tremendous benefit, right? I mean, it takes our life and it flips it upside down. So the greatest gift that we've been given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no doubt, is our iman. And so because he's given us this gift, it's important for us to wish this gift upon the people that we interact with. And we wish that the people that we interact with are as successful in their deen as we strive to at least be. And so we've been talking about this for the last few gatherings, how one of the ways by which a person progresses spiritually, or one of the main ways by which a person progresses spiritually, is through their uh, their bringing other people toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? You put your effort on yourself to draw yourself closer to Allah, but if you can do that with others, meaning draw other people, or help other people draw closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you get that same reward and you get that same benefit, which is all based on the hadith of the Prophet that whoever guides toward good or goodness, that person gets that equivalent reward without it being uh, deducted from from uh, from the person who is actually doing the good themselves. So the example we've been using was the example of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and how he one of the ways by which he elevated himself spiritually to such an extent uh, that he's the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the most successful of all believers after the prophets. The way he was able to accomplish that, one one main way by which he was able to accomplish that was that he was able to draw other people closer to Allah and he had encouraged other people to become close to Allah. And we mentioned that the majority of the Ashara Mubashara, of those people that have been granted Jannah, they became Muslim at the hands of Abu Bakr. It's not that they, you know, were Muslim and then and then he helped them, you know, in their deen. Although obviously he did take that role as well. But he's the one that, you know, he, he received this gift of Iman and he was so excited about it that he immediately went and he began to invite other not invite people openly, but he began to encourage other people to do the same. So even those 10 people, in, and we don't know, I mean, 10 people that are guaranteed Jannah, there are very few people that are guaranteed Jannah in the history of man. And of the 10 that are, apart from the prophets, Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu is responsible solely for the iman of at least six or seven of them. We mentioned that when he accepted Islam, the first, four, the first day or the day after, essentially the day one, he brought in Zubayr ibn al-Awwam, Talha ibn Ubaidullah. We mentioned that he brought in 
uh, Uthman bin Affan and Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas. And then the next day, essentially, he had brought Abdurrahman bin Awf radiallahu anhu, and he had brought um, uh, Arqam bin Abi al-Arqam. And then uh, we spent the last gathering talking about a few of these companions, and I thought it would be good to continue that and, and to, dis, to, to really appreciate what impact Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu had on these people's lives and maybe use that as encouragement for us to work toward creating an impact on the people that are around us. So we mentioned on day two essentially, he had brought in uh, Arqam bin Abil Arqam. Now this was a companion of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and what's very special about this companion is that his home, his, his living space, became the gathering place of the early Muslims in Mecca. And that was very important because this was the first place where people were coming in order to accept Islam and in order for the people that had accepted Islam to actually learn about Islam from the Prophet And from this house of Arqam, Darul Arqam is what it's called, from his opening up his space so that people could benefit, so many people subsequently benefited. So many people subsequently benefited. And so, who brought Arqam bin uh, Abil Arqam into deen, meaning who facilitated and caused, either directly or indirectly, this space to become open for more people to benefit? It was none other than Abu, it was none other than Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. So, so he brought Arqam bin Abil Arqam. Now, when he brought him into deen, did he know that Arqam bin Abil Arqam's house would become the place where so many more people would benefit. I mean, who knows? He just realized Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given him this gift and he wanted to have an impact on someone else's life and that one person that he chose was Arqam bin Abil Arqam. Now that person later goes on to open up his house and so many people then subsequently have benefited in deen. And then that continues, right? And it continues and it continues. And all of the, the reward of Arqam will, inshallah, go into Abu Bakr's account. And all the spiritual benefit that he derived goes into his account. But then all of the benefit that came from the place that he opened up is the reward of Arqam. But if this reward of Arqam, then it goes back to Abu Bakr as well. So what happened in Darul Arqam? Just to, just to appreciate what impact this space had, which then meant what Abu Bakr had contributed to, Many people had accepted Islam at Darul Arqam. Many people had benefited from Islam at Darul Arqam. You know, you hear many names. Um, the names of uh, Suhaib ibn Sinan and Ammar ibn Yasir radiallahu anhuma. These were two companions. Suhaib, Suhaib al-Rumi, the Roman. He was the Roman companion. He was, you know, basically caught. He was enslaved. And then eventually he was in Mecca, Mukarrama. And he had accepted is So what happened was that he one day had gone to the door of Darul Arqam because he had heard that the Prophet was talking about deen. And so he had heard through the great Fine. So he comes to the door of Dar al-Arqam and coming with him is Ammar bin Yasir radiallahu anhu, the companion of the Prophet sallallahu that uh, underwent tremendous difficulty. Him and his family, his mother Sumayya and his father Yasir, they were tortured to such a degree that the Prophet when he'd see them being tortured, he'd walk by their torture right at the hands of Abu Jahl because he was the one that was torturing them. He'd walk by and he would tell them, Sabrun ya ala Yasir, Sabrun ya ala Yasir, be patient, be patient, O family of Yasir. Meaning, it hurt the Prophet to see them undergo this torture. So, but they were, these two are very special. So, Ammar bin Yasir, they, they come to the door of Dar al Arqam and, and uh, he sees Ammar there and Ammar sees Suhaib and he's like, hey, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm here because I wanted to learn about this Islam. 
I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm here for the same reason. And then they both essentially walked into the al Arqab and both of them became became Muslims. And these are both very special companions. Suhaib with his ability, because of his background, because he had a Roman, that was his, he spoke, I mean, his, his he spoke uh, the language of the Romans. It was able to benefit a lot of people, right? And Ammar radiallahu anhu and the sacrifices that, that he uh, radiallahu anhu had made, um, you know, it's incredible. Suhaib was uh, Suhaib, one of the one of the two. Suhaib al-Rumi radiallahu anhu. He was the companion when Umar radiallahu anhu was was uh, was pat- near his death, right? And he had r- recognized that the enemies were attacking, and it was his time was very near. He had to quickly appoint someone that would lead the salah. Now, the decision of who would become the Khalifa would occur later, but he had to quickly appoint someone to lead the Salah, and at that time, the person that led the Salah was the most important, right? The most qualified, not important, the most qualified individual, essentially, to lead the Ummah. And Umar radiallahu anhu had, he told the companions that make sure that Suhaib leads the Salah, make sure that Suhaib leads the Salah. And where were the beginnings of Suhaib al-Rumi radiallahu anhu? It was at the doorstep, or inside, Darul Arqam. Whose house? It was the house of Arqam. And who had facilitated this house of Arqam and the Iman of Arqam? None other than Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. And the sacrifices of Ammar radiallahu anhu, the Prophet says that uh, he had said that uh, when Ammar radiallahu anhu once was, you know, later, in, so, so the family of Ammar was tortured tremendously, right? His mother, Sumayya radiallahu anha, she was tortured by Abu Jahl. There's different narrations on how she had died. But one narration showed that her limbs were attached to two different camels and the camels were hit and they were made to run in opposite directions and her body was physically separated. Another narration was that Abu Jahl took a spear and he stabbed her essentially in her private area and she had passed away. Um, his father, Yasir, was killed. Ammar's father, Yasir radiallahu anhu, was killed, tortured because he was Muslim. His brother Abdullah was also killed. So three of his family members have been killed, and Ammar himself is now being tortured. This is after he accepted Islam, right, completely voluntarily. And then, he, so after he accepted Islam, and so uh, his family members have passed away, and once he was being tortured so severely, and the people that were torturing him were telling him, take back your deen, take back your deen, just, you know, say that you don't believe in Allah, or say that you believe in Lat and Uzza and these false gods. And the companions at that time, they were very hesitant to even utter it from their tongue. And Ammar bin Yasir being under the torture that he was, he gave in. And he made a statement, you know, statement of kufr, you could say. It was just a statement. He went to the Prophet ﷺ right after that, and he started crying. He was crying. And tears were flowing down his face. And the Prophet ﷺ looked at him, and he physically, with his own hands, he wiped away the tears of Ammar. Very few companions have had the Prophet ﷺ actually wipe away their tears. Ammar was one of them. And so Ammar was crying, and the Prophet asked Ammar, uh, Ammar said, this is what happened. I uttered words of kufr. So the Prophet asked him, you know, was it in your heart, or did you just say it? And he said, no, it wasn't in my heart. I just said it, right, to alleviate this, this physical violence and, and, and torture. So he said, just in my heart. And then the verses came down. Man kafara billahi min ba'di imanihi illa man ukriha wa qalbuhu mutma'innu bil iman. That you know those people who who take back their Islam after they've given iman, except for those whom in their heart is still iman. Meaning, as long as your heart is maintained on iman. But look at the look at the pain that Ammar was going through. Like you know, you'd think that okay, at that point, your whole family has given their life for Islam physically. You yourself have been persecuted because of your Islam, and the one concern he has isn't when is this torture going to stop? It's that Ya Rasulullah, I made a mistake by uttering something with my tongue I shouldn't have uttered. You know, will Allah accept me and forgive me? That was his concern. Anyway, so this is Ammar and this and Suhaib and Ammar. They met at the doorstep, and they have very unique stories, right? Because of the torture they endured, and they become Muslim when they walk into Darul Arqam that day. 
And this goes back to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Indirectly in this case, what else happened at Dar al-Arqam? A famous companion, most of you have heard the name Mus'ab bin Umar radiallahu anhu, right? The flower of Mecca, such a special companion. He had everything that any youth could imagine ever having before he had accepted Islam. He had, you know, the best clothes, the best, you know, cars, equivalent of cars. He used to wear, you know, uh, he used to wear luxury clothing. He used to have perfumes and scents that were so expensive, right, and so powerful that you could smell him even after he walked by. He had everything. He lived. The, he grew up in the lap of luxury, and he gave it all up for the sake of Islam. But what's even more interesting, and if we go fast forward through his life, eventually there came a time when the Muslims of uh, when when a, when a group of Muslim, when a group of people had come from Medina Munawwara to meet the Prophet Sallallahu in Aqaba. It's a very special place. It's in Mina. You can see it today if you if you ever visit. A small group of of people from Medina had come, around six or so had come, and they had taken bay'ah at the hands of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and they accepted Islam. And then the following year, another group came. About 12 people had come in that following group, and they had accepted Islam. And so they told the Prophet ﷺ that, Ya Rasulullah, send someone with us to take us back to Medina Munawwara so they can teach us about Islam. And the Prophet ﷺ, despite there being people that were maybe more qualified or more knowledgeable or more close to him in terms of his familiar relations, the Prophet ﷺ chose Mus'ab bin Umar radiallahu anhu. And his responsibility was to take this group back with them to Medina Munawwara, go with them to Medina Munawwara, and then begin to introduce Islam to others. And then Mus'ab bin Umar had such a profound impact. So he was the first ambassador of Islam, the first real ambassador who the Prophet trusted and said, Look, you know, Prophet said, I have been given this responsibility by Allah. And now you've been given this, now I'm giving you this responsibility that I've been given by Allah. It's a prophetic responsibility, essentially, right? And even in today's day and age, this is what happens when a person is, is given responsibility by their teachers, right? I mean, the teacher has been given responsibility not by Allah, but by their teacher who's given it by their teacher who's given it by their teacher who eventually, who's given it by Abu Bakr or some companion who was given it by the Prophet So basically everyone's inheriting this responsibility and eventually the teacher has to make a decision that, okay, now I need to give this responsibility to someone else so then they can go and benefit the people around them. But they're not, they're very selective. Our ulama and mashayikh are very selective of who they take, who they give that responsibility to. It's not anybody. It's someone who's skilled, who's solid and firm on deen and sunnah. And it's someone who is, uh, who can carry weight and responsibility on their shoulders. And very few people in the Muslim community can do this. Uh, it's someone who they can trust and someone who they can, who they expect can, 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 uh, can, whatever they've been able to give them, now they have to not transfer it to other people. And of all of the people the Prophet ﷺ chose, Mus'ab bin Umar radiallahu anhu. So Mus'ab radiallahu anhu, he goes to Medina and he begins to inspire the Muslims of Medina. Right? And look at the chain effect this then has, right? He meets uh, many people in Medina and they're introducing the people, meeting after meeting after meeting. He's telling them about Allah and telling them about the Prophet ﷺ. And eventually, word gets to a companion by the name of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu. Now, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was the leader of the uh, the Aus, the Aus in Medina, right? And so, in Medina, there were two main groups: the Aus and the Khazraj. And so, the leader of of uh, of, Aus, uh, of Aus was uh, was Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, and he was obviously skeptical initially of who this person was, and why is he spreading all these things? And Mus'ab, all he said was, "Just listen to what I have to say." And he sat Mu'adh down, he told him what he had to say, and Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, he accepted Islam. 
Then, very soon after that, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, who is this? This was the leader of the Khazraj. So now the Aus, the leader of the Aus had become Muslim. Now the leader of the, Khaz, of the Khazraj is coming to Mus'ab ibn Umar anhu, And he's so impressed with, with the words of Mus'ab, uh, what, what words Mus'ab has to share that Sa'ad ibn Ubadah anhu accepts Islam. Now you have Sa'ad ibn Mu'az Sa'ad ibn, uh, and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah. Just, now these two are the leaders of Aus and Khazraj. And so then when they've accepted Islam, all of the people in Medina are like, well, if our two leaders are accepting Islam, then what's holding us back? So Mus'ab radiallahu anhu facilitated the iman of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn uh, Ubadah. And now because of that, Medina is now prepared to bring the Prophet back. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh was such a special companion. You know, in the Battle of Khandaq, the Battle of the Trench, he was injured. He was only Muslim for like, you know, five, you know, not five, maybe about seven, eight, Years or so, he was Muslim. Think about it, right? We've been Muslim, mature Muslim. We've been mature Muslim for more than seven or eight years, right? All of us. He was Muslim for maybe seven or eight years. And you wonder, like, what could such a person accomplish in that limited period of time? He accepted Islam, went back to Medina Munawwara. Eventually, the Prophet ﷺ came. He participated in, in the subsequent events. And in the Battle of the Trench, he was injured, right? A spear, or a spear or a, I think it was a spear or a sword had injured him badly. And eventually, he died from the wounds of that battle. And when he had passed away, the Prophet ﷺ said that with the passing away of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shook. The arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shook with the passing away of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, meaning that's how beloved he had become to Allah. And how long did it take for him to become this beloved to Allah that his arsh had shook? And no other companion do you hear this about. You don't hear this about any other companion that the arsh of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shook, but yet you hear this about Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, and how long did it take for him to reach this, this state? Six or seven years. Now, when Musa ibn Umar anhu went there, did he know that this was going to be the outcome of Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, that this leader is going to become so special to the Prophet and so special to Allah that this is the statement that's going to be made about him? How would he know, right? And so, the, and, and the, did uh, uh, Arqam bin Abil Arqam know that Musa'ab was going to come to his house and then he was going to become the first envoy of Islam who's going to spread deen and essentially convert uh, or, or, or facilitate all of Medina for the Prophet's reception? He didn't know that. And did Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu know that Arqam bin Abil Arqam's house would become that place where Mus'ab would then become Muslim and all of this downstream effect would be had, including Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah? No. But all of this is going back to whom? Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Right? All this going back to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, the, the likes of Sa'ad ibn... You know, when, we, when many people say Abu Bakr brought the Ashara Mubashara, most of them, the guaranteed people to Jannah, he did, to Islam, he did. But he, he was responsible for so much more. You know, and what's amazing is that he, did, he, he didn't realize the downstream effects at the time, right? Same with us. Like, we don't know. You know, we just, all we do, we put our head down and we just share this gift with other people and, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then takes care of the rest. If you do it with a sincere intention and you work on the people that are around you, encourage them toward deen and encourage them toward gatherings like these and you facilitate this for them, who knows, that person later could become a da'i, that person could become, you know, an, uh, uh, could become the next Mus'ab bin Umar radiallahu anhu who goes and, 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 and brings deen to an entire community. And that person could become Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh, that person could, you know, that could, could, could carry the qualities and characteristics of Sa'ad ibn Ubadah radiallahu ta'ala anhum. We don't know. We don't know, you know, the, the gems that are, like, we see this, we call it, we, the, the Mashaikh, I mean, when they, 
work on people they don't know initially, right? They just see some sincere qualities in these people. They put effort into them, and those people become gems who then bring other people to deen, and all of that reward goes into their account as well. So when so so Musa ibn Umar anhu, he brings Sa'd ibn Mu'adh, he brings in Sa'd ibn Ubadah, and then the following year, around 70, 73 people or so, Musab facilitates, brings them to the Prophet and the second pledge of Aqaba takes place, and this is where they pledge to the Prophet that they will take care of him, he can move back. And who had become Muslim in this process, right, through the work of Musab radiallahu anhu? It was Sayyidina Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu. Right? Sayyidina Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu. I mean, these are individually, they're all just giants. They're giants. You know, Mu'adh radiallahu anhu is his story. You can't, we can't talk about, I mean, it's a very lengthy story. But just like Mus'ab radiallahu anhu, the Prophet had eventually appointed Sayyidina Mu'adh to go to Yemen and spread deen. Right? And it was a very famous story when he was walking with Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu. He's walking with him toward the outskirts of Medina as he's sending him off to Yemen. You know, one of the habits of the Prophet was when he was giving responsibility to someone, he would he would take them to the edge and then let them go. So he took Sa'ad Mu'adh bin Jabal and he walked toward the end. And he basically told, giving him advice and advice and advice. And uh, and it became clear to Mu'adh radiallahu anhu that when he was to come back, right, that the Prophet wouldn't be, wouldn't be around. So Mu'adh bin Jabal radiallahu anhu initially became the envoy and went to Yemen. Now think about the effect that Mu'adh had on the people of Yemen. Think about who brought Mu'adh into deen and then how all that traces back. Mu'adh radiallahu anhu eventually after Yemen, he then went to Syria and he became a scholar and a teacher in Syria. And in fact, when I say Syria, present day the, the Levant, the Sham region. In fact, you know, one of the uh, a few years ago, uh, we had the opportunity to visit the grave of Mu'adh bin Jabal. It's in present day Jordan. It's one of the most unique, special places on the planet because his companion was just so beloved to the Prophet Such a special place, like a jeeb, you know, feeling that you get when you go visit his grave. And he was in, uh, he, he's in present day Amman in Jordan, right? So he went from Yemen for the purposes of carrying deen. He eventually went to Jordan for the purposes of carrying deen. Now, eventually, Abu Ubaidah, who was actually the governor of Syria, he was a governor of Syria and he had passed away. And Abu Ubaidah, interestingly, he's actually someone who Abu Bakr had actually brought into deen as well. <laughs> right, one of the Ashram Abu Bashara. He was, he was directly responsible for bringing Abu Ubaidah into deen. But we won't be able to talk about him today. But just think, Abu Ubaidah was so special that he was appointed as the governor of Syria. When Abu Ubaidah, radiallahu anhu, had passed away, then immediately they had to give this responsibility to someone to, keep, to take on this responsibility. And so Umar radiallahu anhu was a khalifa at the time. He gave this responsibility to Mu'adh bin Jabal and said, you become the, the governor of Syria. Later, Umar, was, Umar radiallahu anhu said such an amazing statement. He said, if I was to grant Mu'adh, if I was to grant Mu'adh succession, meaning responsibility, if I was to grant Mu'adh succession and responsibility um, you know, uh, to be to, to be held in this responsible position, and it was asked, you know, why why would you give such a person such a responsibility? Are you able to answer Allah? Umar radiallahu anhu said, I would I would answer be able to answer to Allah subhanahu wa taala for putting him into responsibility because I had heard the Prophet sallallahu say that when the people of knowledge and and uh, people of knowledge stand before Allah subhanahu wa taala, Mu'ad will be amongst these people. Umar radiallahu anhu says that if I am to be asked, question by Allah, that how could you put this person in 
succession, meaning given that such a strong responsibility in deen, how will you be able to answer to Allah? He said, I know I'll be able to answer to Allah because the Prophet said when the people of knowledge are, are basically stood up, right, on the Day of Judgment and they have to stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I know that Mu'ad will be amongst these people. So, this is the downstream effect of Mus'ab, whose effect all traces back to Abu Bakr anhu. Giants were created even through, through the indirect efforts of Abu Bakr anhu. Now what else happened, at, going back to Dar so we talked about spreading of deen. Now what, what was facilitated with Mus'ab and Mu'adh and these people, they, not only did they become gems themselves, but then they were able to create gems. Right? And that's the whole purpose. They felt that there was some benefit they were receiving from their teacher and their master, Rasulullah and they wanted everyone else to be a part of the gathering of the Prophet and his teachings. And this is, the, this is what they did. Now whatever happened, what else happened in Dar al-Arqam after eventually year six comes around. And in year six, two companions of the Prophet become accept Islam. One companion by the name of Hamza, his uncle, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. What happened was Hamza was returning from a trip. He was on this hunting trip. He used to, he was like a big game hunter. That's what he, he's, uh, he used to enjoy that. He came back from a trip and he had heard that Abu Jahl had harassed the Prophet He was furious. He went toward uh, the, the Mataf area where the Kaaba was and he found Abu Jahl and he gave him a blow to the head. And, uh, and, he, and he said, and uh, the people around were like, what are you doing? He said, you know, I heard that you had uh, hurt you know, his, his nephew, the Prophet Sallallahu He did it not because he was the Prophet. He wasn't Muslim. He did it because this was his nephew that he was, that was uh, being, um, that was tortured by the Prophet. His nephew was being tortured by, by Abu Jahl. So he gave him a blow and, uh, and he stood above him, right? And Abu Jahl said, let him go, let him go. Just leave him alone. I, I did this to the Prophet Sallallahu He immediately went to go check on the well-being of the Prophet Sallallahu and he went to where? Darul Arqam. He entered into Darul Arqam and he accepted Islam. He accepted Islam. And shortly thereafter, a companion by the name of Umar radiallahu anhu, right? Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu. What was his story, right? He had no interest in Islam for the first five or six years the Prophet was preaching. In fact, he had a tremendous, he had an extreme animosity and hate toward Islam such that he actually wanted to um, kill the Prophet. In fact, he left. He, he said, okay, he, t- he, he made a statement that, you know what, enough is enough. I've had it with this man. He said, who's going to kill him? Umar said, I'm going to kill him. So he took his sword and he actually left his home to go kill the Prophet wasallam to murder him. This was his intention, was to murder the Prophet wasallam. And on the way to where the Prophet wasallam, he runs into one of his friends by the name of Nu'aim. Um, and Nu'aim said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go separate the head from the, from the neck of the Prophet wasallam." He said, He's like, you think, you, think, uh, you think that's a great idea? He said, why don't you go handle your own house first? He said, my own house? He said, yeah, your daughter's Muslim as well. He's like, well, your sister's Muslim as well. He said, what? So he immediately rushes to the house of his sister, Fatima, a different Fatima, Fatima anha. And her husband was Sa'ad ibn Zayd, Sa'id ibn Zayd, who is also one of the Ashara Mubashara, one of the, ten, one of the ten. I think we've now covered all of the Ashara Mubashara. So he goes into their house and Khabbab, Fatima is teaching Khabbab, who's another companion who underwent tremendous torture. She's teaching him the Quran. He goes and he hides because Umar is there. Once Umar is at the front door and he, you hide, right? You hide. There, there's probably nothing good is coming from him. I Meaning at least you're going to be you're gonna be in trouble, right? No matter what, you're going to be in trouble. So eventually she opens the door and he says, what are you doing? And she says, and, she was, and her husband was there. Eventually, to make a long story short, he, uh, she, she tells him that, uh, he's furious, right? He, she tells him that, you know what, you can kill us, but we're not leaving our Islam. Like, this was her iman. 
and he hit her across the face, so much so that she started bleeding. And he saw the blood of his sister on her face, and he, his heart softened. And he said, okay, what are you doing? What is this? So he said, this is the Qur'an. She said, this is the Qur'an. So he said, okay, tell me what's inside it. I want to learn more about it. So she said, go make wudu and come back. So he went and made wudu and he came back. And he started, and he heard the verses, right? Inni and Allah, that verily I am Allah. La ilaha illa ana, that there is no one, uh, no deity worthy of worship except me. Fa'budini, so worship me. Wa aqimi salata li dhikri and establish salah in my remembrance. This touched the heart of Umar radiallahu anhu. And where did he go? To the Prophet ﷺ. Just a few moments ago, he went to go sever the head from the neck of the Prophet ﷺ. And now he's going to the Prophet ﷺ with a soft heart. And he tells the Prophet ﷺ that he wants to accept this now. Now, these two events happen relatively back to back with Hamza and Umar radiallahu anhu. Umar radiallahu anhu, after he accepts Islam, being as powerful as he was, you know, it's it, it said that when Umar radiallahu anhu accepted Islam, the deen took on a different flavor. Now there was strength given to the believers. Now they could openly propagate and not have to worry as much. He meant, he went from Dar al-Arqam. When the rest of the Muslims are hiding in their belief, he goes from Dar al-Arqam, he goes in front of the Kaaba, and he prays Salah with this attitude like, don't even, don't even try to stop me from doing this. And he was such a fierce, you know, this... The Quraysh were really affected by the coming of, of Umar radiallahu anhu. And this, the coming of Hamza and Umar, you know, the two fiercest of, of the companions. These are the two companions in the, in, in the, at the time of Badr when three people had to be chosen to start off the battle. The Prophet ﷺ chose Umar and he chose Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala. Sorry, Umar and he chose Hamza to be, to be at, the, at the front lines. This happened at Dar al-Arqam. They accepted Islam at Dar al-Arqam. Through the opening of the home, of Arqam, who was brought into deen by the Prophet So you see the indirect effect of Abu Bakr anhu on the two great powerful figures of our deen, Hamza and Umar bin Khattab And it just continues, right? You just see what sort of an effect he had and then it begins to make sense why this person was so special. You know, how, why we can say that why the Prophet ﷺ can state if the Iman was on one scale of Abu Bakr anhu and the Iman of the rest of the Ummah was on the other scale, it begins to make sense because he was responsible indirectly or directly for the Iman of almost the entire Ummah of the Prophet ﷺ. Right? So we should think this way as well. You know, we have the example of Abu Bakr, right? And I, I don't, I don't even know if the hadith of Mandalla ala khairin falahu mithlu ajrifa'idhi that whoever guides toward good, you know, it's as if they've done this good. I, I don't even, I don't think it was there available for Abu Bakr to learn from day one and day two when he accepted Islam. These hadith came came later. So he didn't know that this was a reward he was getting. All he was doing this for was that I've been given this gift and I need to share this gift with the people around. Whoever I see that's sincere and interested, I'm going to facilitate deen for them and look at the downstream effects that this had. Now we have the example of Abu Bakr, but then we also have the teaching of the Prophet that says that whoever you guide toward deen, you'll get that reward as well. So if we want to advance ourselves spiritually and make make a real dent in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this should be our approach as well. You know, there, whenever there's a gathering of dhikr, whenever there's a gathering of the mashayikh and the ulama, bring people to these gatherings and encourage them because you don't know who will leave that gathering changed and then what subsequent effect that person will have. At least that person will have benefited and their lifetime, inshallah, worth of action and intention will go into your account. But that individual themselves may go on to become a da'i. They may go on to become 
become uh, uh, someone who calls to Allah. They may go on to become someone who earns a lot of money and gives that money towards so many righteous causes and that will all go into your account. They may go on to become a scholar of deen who teaches people deen. That goes into your account. They may go on to serve their parents. That goes into your account. They may go on to benefit so many other people and you'll inshallah get the effects of that. So this should be our attitude and our approach and we should be tireless in this effort. And this is one of the keys to progressing to our spiritual progression. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to become people who act upon this hadith of the Prophet May he subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us to appreciate the effect that Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu had on this deen. May he subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us uh, the uh, 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 may he, if he grants us the responsibility to carry deen, allow us to fulfill this responsibility in the same way that the likes of Mus'ab and Mu'ad bin Jabal carried responsibility. May he give us the qualities of those like Sa'ad ibn Mu'ad and Sa'ad ibn Ubadah and Umar and Hamza. Wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.